Yeah, amen. Oh, boy. What good news for each of us who are in Christ this morning. As I think about that song, O Glorious Day, uh, what, a, what a powerful song. And uh, what a reminder it is for us this morning of the hope we have in Christ. And on the other hand, what a reminder it is for us of the great importance for us to share the gospel with those who have never heard and those that are yet to come to faith in Christ. What a glorious day it will be for us who are in Christ. What a horrible day. What a tragic day it will be for those who have rejected Christ when he comes again. So that's why we do this. But let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning with you. Bow with me. We'll pray. Oh, God, we come to you today, and we are so excited, Lord, just to be here, God, just with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are just uh, so blessed, God, that what's brought us here together is the, the name of Jesus, God, the fact that we have come to this understanding of this salvation, that, Lord, wasn't something we did in and of ourselves. God, we still wonder, uh, as Sonny sang, why me, Lord? We wonder, God, why? We don't deserve it. We don't understand it. We didn't do anything to get it. But nonetheless, Lord, you, you've called us. And uh, Lord, we're very humbled this morning and we're very grateful. And on one hand, we're broken by those that we love that yet do not know you. And that's what propels us to continue to pray. That's why we continue to share. That's why we continue to show our love and kindness to those that need Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, just a quick reminder for those of you that are doing our Experiencing God uh, studies in our, in our uh, line camps. We call them line camps or small group Bible studies. We have all the books in. You're going to need those this week to begin. They're in Tracy's office. And so uh, please pick your book up. You need it this week to start so you can meet next week. And uh, we'll get someone back there. Maybe Luke or somebody can help you check your name off. And you won't pay the church. Just pay your facilitator. It'll make it easier on Miss Tracy. Good morning, kids. Some of our big kids, right? Amen. All right, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn them. I shouldn't say if you do. I hope you have your Bibles, please. Uh, turn them to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We're going to begin our, our uh, reading this morning in Romans 8, 28. We're going to read all the way through 39. I wasn't able to completely finish last week. We attempted to finish on Wednesday night, and uh, we're moving on to the next section this morning here. So um, if you have your Bibles, I pray that you do. Bring them. Take some notes. Study it during the week. Uh, pray that it'll bless your heart. If you're here this morning and you're a guest, we want to welcome you here. We're sure glad that you're here this morning and, and hope you feel very welcome and at home here. And if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you come to hear his voice and come to know this amazing gospel. That's why we're here to celebrate and uh, we trust that God will do that in your life. Paul continues on in verse 28. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If it is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns? No one. For Christ Jesus died. More than that, was raised to life and is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, no. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an incredible passage of Scripture for us to have before us this morning as we, as we, uh, as we begin to just kind of approach what, what Paul has been saying here for the last several months as he's making his way here now finally to really just a very, very, very heightened moment within the doctrines and theology that he's written here about the doctrines of our salvation. And he's, he's talking here about the perseverance or the pres, perseverance, excuse me, of the saints of the fact that we as Christians, those who are in Christ, that we are absolutely, completely holy, secure in Christ Jesus. And so Paul has been building and laying this out. He says, as you were in Adam, so you are in Christ. In Adam, what did you do? You, you sinned and you died in Adam and in Christ. Now, likewise, we were buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, that we are now in Christ Jesus. What is true of Christ is now true of us. And what an incredible gospel this message is that God, out of his own love for us, sent his son. He actually sacrificed his own son to pay for our sin and our debt and to set us free and offer us righteousness. And he took our punishment and gave us everlasting life. That is the amazing message of the gospel of Christ. It's an incredible thing. And that's why we're rejoicing this morning as Christians as we come to the Word of God. We are expectant and excited about what God has to share with us today. And why can we have this security? Why do we know that if we are in Christ today, we will not be out of Christ tomorrow or in 10 years or, Lord willing, at the very end of life? How do we know that we will remain in Christ? Because, as Paul has already mentioned, there are several reasons for that. And primarily last week, he shared with us seven things that were truths about the Holy Spirit and what he's done in our lives and through our lives and what he's currently doing for us even now as we are here this morning. And the Holy Spirit is no less God than God the Father or God the Son. He is God. The Holy Spirit is well. And he, he said last week we learned that the Holy Spirit now marks us as belonging to God, that we didn't mark ourselves. There's many people who do mark themselves as belonging to God who may not even be in Christ. It's not something that you and I do. I don't mark myself a check by my name. Yep, I'm in Christ. No, the Holy Spirit marks you that you are in Christ. God does this. The Holy Spirit proves the authenticity of our adoption as children of God. What an incredible thing to think that we who were once aliens, aliens who were enemies of God, who were far away from God, who were rebellious against God, who actually hated God, those of us who have now through the, through the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit have come now to be adopted as children of God. And what is true of Christ is true of us as we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an incredible truth. 
The third thing the Holy Spirit did we learned last week was he connects us in authentic personal relationship with God. And I still struggle with this to understand how you and I as finite human beings can in any way, shape, form, or fashion be connected in relationship to the God of all creation. It is a mind-blowing thing to think about, but nonetheless, I experience it in my own life. And the reason I do is because the Holy Spirit connects me in relationship to God the Father. And it's an incredible thing to somehow, some way to think that God actually desires and does have relationship with me. What an unbelievable thing. The fourth thing was that he testifies or he bears witness that I am a child of God. He, He bears witness. And we learned last week that not only does the Holy Spirit bear witness, but God himself is the one that justifies us and the, and Christ himself is also interceding for us on our behalf. He didn't just say, I have one person to actually testify on your behalf that you belong to God, but the entire Godhead testifies and bears witness that we belong to him. Not one witness, not two witnesses like the Old Testament, but three witnesses are verifying that we belong to God. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Jesus intercedes for us, and the Father justifies us, and we belong to God. Amazing. The fifth thing we learned is the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. As it says in in, in Ephesians chapter 1, And you heard the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of your inheritance. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and he guarantees you, everyone who is in Christ, he will guarantee that you will receive your inheritance, which is in Christ and which is of God. You will receive that. That's a promise, and the Holy Spirit signifies that as you are marked with him, you are sealed with him, and it is a done thing that God did for you and me. The sixth thing is the Holy Spirit supplies us with the things that we need. And as Christians living in this world, living in a world that we need to set apart from the world, but be in the world, how we live our life to obey God and honor God and glorify God is not something we do in our own strength. It's something that we do through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things he does for us. He gives us the power to live this abundant life in Christ and this new life in Christ. And he does supply the needs of what we have and what we need at any given time that we need anything whatsoever. The seventh thing we learned was this, that the Holy Spirit is interceding. I want you to think about this, that God sent his spirit to dwell every single believer. And it says he is here to help us in our weakness. And also he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's actually speaking to the father on our behalf. And what he's doing is he's praying in accordance with the will of God in your life and in my life. That's an incredible truth. Right now, today, he's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He knows the Father, the Father knows the mind of the Spirit, all back and forth. They're one Godhead, three persons, and they're working together for my benefit, which is absolutely incredible. And my benefit is the salvation of my my, my soul for eternity, the adoption of sonship. All of those things are what I have in Christ, but it's all for the glory of God. And the reason they're doing this in my life is to bring glory to God, that's why. My life is not meant to bring glory to me. My life in Christ is meant to bring glory, honor, and magnify the name of God. That's what my life is for. 
And it benefits the king and it benefits the kingdom when he's working for my good and when he's actually working his will in my life. It benefits him because at that point in time, my life is able to give glory, honor, and recognition to the king of glory. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to glorify the name of Jesus. That's what my life is about. And when people look at our lives, we pray that they see that Christ is working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. That's what we pray. That's part of our sanctification process. So as Paul has shared these amazing truths about the Holy Spirit now, understanding that we are in Christ now, Paul is moving us now to really a, another, another higher, um, not necessarily level, if you will, but another truth about what it means to be in Christ and why Paul can say in confidence that we can be secure in our salvation. If you can lose your salvation, you don't have salvation. If you can lose your salvation, you did something to get your salvation. Salvation is all in the heart and mind and plan of a sovereign God upon mankind. It is all God's plan. It's not your plan. You didn't come up with it. I didn't think about it. God in his own sovereignty before the foundation of the world has already planned and prepared to provide this for humanity. That's what God did. It's amazing. So Paul moves on and says, and he moves on and says, and we know, Paul says, we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he moves right on into the fact that Paul says, now that I've said these things, you're going to understand why we know and why I'm going to say the things I'm getting ready to say. Why you can be sure that God will finish the work that he began in you is because God is doing the work of salvation in your life and in my life. And I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved by the grace, the glory, and the mercy of a God who loved us first and set his affection on us. That is the promise we have. Now we know that not all things in life are obviously good. We know that. Anybody that would tell you that that's a good thing to experience some of the tragedies of life, they're, they're, they're not being honest with you. It's not a good thing. We hate death, for example. We don't like death. It separates us from those we love. We don't like sickness or disease. Why? Because it creates pain. It creates heartache and sorrow and ultimately separation from the ones we love. We, there's a lot of things we don't love. There's a lot of things in life that are not good. Cancer's not good, for example. But there's something incredible about the economy of God and how he works in the life of every single person who's in Christ is although life has things that are not good, abuse is not good, neglect is not good. I mean, we can go down the list of things that are not good, living in a fallen world. There are many things that are not good. But nonetheless, Paul says this, we know that in all things, good, bad, indifferent, all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we can be confident this morning, as Paul says, that in all seasons of our life, in all aspects of our life, in everything that either we've created as a wreck in our life or other people have influenced and brought about in our life, that even in the worst of all circumstances, Paul says, we can know that God is working for the good of those. That's a truth that we have to hold on to. Now, I do want to say this, that Paul is not talking now to everybody because not everybody is going to, to have this truth in their life because not everybody is in Christ. Not everyone is. 
In fact, there are many, many, many who have called themselves by the name of Christ that are no more Christ than I am a horse. It's the truth. Because as Paul's going to show us here, he gives two definitions that describe the those in this passage. And we got to know who those are. Paul says this isn't for everybody. This is only for a, a select group of people. And these people are the ones who are truly in Christ Jesus. We have an all-inclusive mentality in the Western world today. All-inclusive. And what we need to understand is, is that the gospel itself is for everybody. But not while everybody has received the gospel. It's not happened. And so what we have to understand in Scripture is not everything is written to us, but everything is written for us. Everything's written for us. In Romans 15, 4, it says, For everything was written in the past. It has been written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So not everything in the Old Testament is written to you and me personally, but it's written for us and for our benefit. And this is what Paul is doing. He's describing the those in this passage. And we know that he is writing to the Christians who are in Rome. And it's truth. And, and truth applies not only to them, but it directly also applies to each who are in Christ Jesus. This whole thing provides is all through what Paul is sharing here. For those in Rome, even those today, because we like them are now in Christ, it applies to us as well. So who are the those that Paul is referring to in this passage? It's important that we understand this. First of all, he says, and we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those, number one, who love God. Now, Paul could have used a whole nether definition here to describe the those in this passage, but he chose the word love. He could have said, and God works for the good of those who believe in God. He didn't choose to say that. He chose to use the words he chose to use by inspiration of the Holy Spirit for a reason. Paul says it's not just simply those who believe in God that this applies to. Is it true that the, those do believe in God? Obviously, if you're in Christ, you do believe in God. That's a true statement. But not everyone who believes in God is in Christ Jesus, and that's the absolute truth. In James 2.19, James writes, you believe that there is one God. He says, well, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. One thing we have to realize and remember, one reason I believe Paul chose to use the word love here and not simply believe is this, because every major religion in the world, if you were to talk to anyone in any of the major religions in the world, I'm talking anyone other than atheism, and they have a God, it's called self, or maybe it's creation or whatever it might be, Everyone worships something, whether it's self or whatever. But when you look at every major religion in the world, what you'll find is that there's not one major religion that rejects that Jesus Christ was absolutely a real person. They don't reject that. You can talk to a Muslim and you will be amazed if you say, well, do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know what they're going to tell you? Absolutely, I believe in Jesus Christ. By he was one of our prophets. But he's not the greatest prophet of all because Muhammad superseded Jesus Christ. If you're talk to a Hindu or a Buddhist or whatever it might be, Jesus Christ is thought of to be a moral teacher or even possibly a prophet of some sort. 
And so every major religion in the world addresses the man who we know as Christ Jesus. They address him, but there's one element that separates every major religion in the world from Christianity, and that is this one thing. And there's many more, but this is the main thing. Only in Christianity is Jesus Christ God. He's God. Because every other major religion in the world says he's a prophet, he's a good teacher, he was a wise man. But only in Christianity, and Christianity alone, is Jesus Christ in the teachings of the Bible, he is God. See, that the truth is that just because someone says, I believe in God, it does not mean they're talking about the same God that we have in our scripture here. The one that we talk about here in the Bible. And the reason you know it's not the same God is because they do not say that Jesus Christ is God. He's simply a prophet or a good man. There's a huge distinction here. A huge, huge, huge distinction. So giving, just simply giving a, a mental assent to the fact that there's a God. And there are many people who believe in God. But what does that mean? If you're a Zoroastrian... Okay, you study that, it could be, who knows what God is. We can go down the list of all kinds of things. And what we're seeing happening in our world, Christian, you need to understand this, is a universalistic ideology of religion and God. That every single religion in the world is pursuing the knowledge of the same one true God. That is universalism. I'm telling you the truth, according to the word of God, they are not pursuing the same God that you and I are. My Bible says there is only one God. That's all there is. And we know that this God is the God of the Bible. He's the God of all creation. He's the God who represents himself in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And so when we have a big culmination coming together, and you're going to see this, and you've already experienced this, that everyone is making their own way to God. And for a Buddhist, it could be thousands of gods, but he's still pursuing God. For the Muslim, he's still pursuing God, but he's pursuing Allah all by works. If you take a, a Muslim or you take a Hindu or whatever you might take, even the Buddhist, and you look at reincarnation and finally you can reach nirvana and you've gone through this process of being recreated over and over and over again and finally you get it right and finally you reach the state of nirvana. It's all about working and doing and working and doing. The truth is the gospel is not about what man did, it's about what God did for man all about God, absolutely every bit of it. And what separates everything right at the very playing field is this. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you are not serving or believing in the God of the Bible. That's the truth. And if you talk to much people in Western Christianity today, those who call themselves by the name of Christ, who will tell you, well, I go to church, I read the Bible, I believe in God. If you were to say that Jesus Christ is absolutely, entirely, not just my opinion, not just my way, but the only way to God. He's it, no other way. If you emphatically stand upon that truth, you'll find that many Christians will reject that truth. Problem is, that's not what I say, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. 
John 10, 30 through 33, listen to this. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Claim to be God. John chapter 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. What is it saying? That the Word, Jesus Christ, was with God in the beginning. That the Word, Jesus Christ, created all things. That nothing that's been created has been created outside of Jesus. And that also not only was the Word with God, but the Word is God. It's God. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. God came to earth in flesh. That's what Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. It's who he is. God says of, of, of the Son in Hebrews 1 verse 8, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever. God says of the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am not just a way, I'm not, I'm not just one of the buck and shoots to buck out of, I'm the only one to buck out of. I'm not just one of the paths to get to the only one true God, I am the only path to get to the one true God. I'm not just one of the truths that you can find, I am the absolute only truth that you can find. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. End of story, no questions, that's the end of the line. And I know that that's not popular in our inclusive culture. It's not a popular message. But that's the way the Word of God describes it. And it's true. So Paul uses a different definition here. It, 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 number one, the, who is God is a very important question, number one. So it's not just someone who has a theistic worldview that, oh yeah, there's a big man up in the sky somewhere. I believe there's a creator. I mean, because it takes an idiot not to know that this creation is far too more incredible. It didn't just happen from a burp in the cosmic era. It didn't happen. I mean, you talk about needing more faith to be an atheist or believe in, 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 in the fact that this just cosmically happened in a belch of some sort of fashion and way, that this all came from nothing. Listen, you got to be a raving lunatic and have more faith than I have to believe that a very creative, personal, and very designing type into God did this. Look at the human eyeball. That'll blow your mind right there. Only until recent days did we even discover that we actually have a, a book of life here. It's called DNA. We didn't even know about that. There's a lot of things we don't know about. Why? Because God is far above the heavens and far greater than what we are. But we're living in a society that rejects God, rejects creation, rejects the creator. That's what we see. By the way, they push that in your school systems. They push it everywhere. They push it everywhere. You talk to our young kids today, most of them don't have a concept of a biblical worldview at all. At all. We need to instill that in their lives. We need to, as Christians, understand and know what that is. Um, so he uses the word of those who love. 
God. Love God. Number one, it's important we know who the real God is, yes, but more importantly is love God. Matthew, in Matthew 22, 36 through 38, Jesus says this in response. He's asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replies this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? That's it. Jesus also says that you will, that, that if you love me, you will obey me, Jesus says. This word love is an agape kind of love. It prefer, it's a preferred type of love for the believer, preferring to live through Christ, embracing the will of God, choosing his choices and obeying them through his power, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This kind of love is something that you cannot have for God in and of yourself. And until God first loves you, you don't understand that you can love God. It's not something I wake up to one day and say, you know what, I think I'm just going to love God today. That's not how it works. Because we know that mankind has a propensity towards sin. We're born in sin. We know that many today believe that men are inherently good. But I'll prove to you that men are not inherently good. We are inherently evil outside of Christ. All you got to do is ask about four questions and you've already nailed them to the wall. People say, well, we're inherently good. Can people outside of Christ do good things? Well, it depends on what your standard of good is. If we look at it according to what we think good is, yeah, they can do some good. Absolutely. But four things you can start with. Have you ever told a lie? If you said no, you just lied. Okay, moving on, right? What does that make you? It makes me a liar, doesn't it? Have you ever stolen anything? What does that make you? A stealer? No, a thief, right? Have you ever hated anybody? Oh, boy, I hate a lot of folks, boy, right? Jesus says, if in your heart you have hated your brother or sister, you have committed murder. What does that make you? Oh, a murderer. Have you ever looked, ma'am or sir, at a man or woman, the opposite sex, for a man, a woman, woman for a man? Have you ever looked at them and lusted after them in your heart? Jesus says, if you've done this, you have committed the act of adultery already. So what do you say right there to that, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? <laughs> I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a murderer, and I'm an adulterer. And we've only covered four of the ten. See, the truth is we do not have the inherent desire to be good. That's not true. We have that inherent in Adam desire as a propensity to rebel against the one true living God. Paul says this, what I'm getting ready to tell you and what I've been telling you is for those who love God. It is a defining, distinct attribute of someone who is in Christ. Because when you begin to comprehend the magnitude of your salvation, and if you're lost today, please hear me. If you do not know Jesus, if you're simply a churchgoer, if you do not know Christ this morning, listen. The gospel is the greatest news ever given. The fact that this God chose to do something for you that you could not do for yourself. That God gave his own son to be a sacrifice to pay your debt. And you are greatly in debt to God. 
I was greatly in debt to God. I was a sinful man. And what did God do? God says, I loved you while you were still in your sin. I sent my own son, the very God man himself came and he took your punishment because the wrath of God is coming one day. And I was to experience and own and know the wrath of God. And what did Jesus do? No father. Remember that one right there? No, that's mine right there, Lord. That's mine, God. I'm going to give my life for him. I'm going to pay for his sin. And you know what I'm going to give him in return? I'm going to give him my righteousness. And he's going to be right with you, God, because you're going to look upon his life and remember the blood that I gave for his sin. And you stamped him as paid in full. And now he or she belongs to you for all eternity because of the immense magnitude of the love of God. And if you're here this morning and you know this kind of love that God poured out on you, then you will love God. You'll love God. You'll love him. You can't not love God. It can't happen. It's impossible not to love God. I mean, man, I love those of you that make me chocolate chip cookies. I mean, you know, I mean, be real about it. A coconut cream pie gives you two love marks. I mean, good grief. Not to mention a God who did this for you. Oh, my word, it's amazing what God has done for us. So, he says the first thing, this is to those who love God. Let me ask you a question this morning because we're not even going to get to the second one. Do you know this kind of love? I mean, do you really know this kind of love? This is the, this is the most amazing thing. We're not getting to the called yet because the called is very important. Because the truth is there's two types of calls. The gospel goes out to the masses. That's what it goes out to. And you may have heard the gospel in this church 50 times and it's gone out. And you still have never responded to the gospel. Because there's an effectual call that goes out. It's something only the Holy Spirit of God can do in your life. And I don't know how it happened to me and I don't know why it happened to me. But I know one day I heard the gospel and I know all of a sudden, something inside me welled up, and I mean, I believed at the moment I heard the gospel. I'd probably heard it 50 times before that, but one day something changed. I literally heard almost my own name being called, and I felt drawn to God like I'd never been drawn to God before. I never recognized that there was a God. I didn't know that he was God. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, at the sharing of the gospel, all of a sudden, everything within my body believed that Jesus Christ was God. And all of a sudden, as I looked at Christ and I realized what I was, I knew that I was sinner. I knew that I had no hope outside of this Jesus. And I knew that with everything within me that was trying to hold me back, you couldn't have kept me from the cross of Jesus if you'd have took the whole entire Dallas football game and held on to me because he drew me like a string and like a gnat to the fire. I could not not go to Jesus. It couldn't happen. So what was it? It was the effectual call of God. It was that point in time where the Holy Spirit, boom, he hit my whole entire being. 
He peeled back the blinders. I actually saw Christ, not literally, but I saw that he was Christ. I'm like, I know that he is Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, that he did die, that he rose from the dead, and he offers me the gift of salvation. Why did I know that? Because the Holy Spirit effectually called me and he pulled me to himself and says, you are going to be mine. Has that happened to you? Do you know what I'm talking about there? Do you remember how all of a sudden one day you're like, I believe. I can't believe this. This was absurd. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to salvation for those who believe. How did I believe? Not because I woke up that day, stubbed my toe, and something good happened. All of a sudden, I had a cognitive ability. says, oh, all of a sudden, you're God. No. The Holy Spirit of God came to me. He grabbed a hold of me. And he shook me from the inside out. And there could have been a billion people in that room. And they could have been playing cymbals, every one of them. And beating drums and blowing horns. And you know what? I wouldn't have heard a thing, but I heard the voice of God. And to be frankly honest with you, some of you have struggled to to relinquish your own pride to this. You've kicked at the goads, man. Maybe for weeks the Holy Spirit's been calling your name. And you've been fighting against it. Give in to the Holy Spirit. You know when God is talking to you. How does he take a man who doesn't believe in God and all of a sudden in the instant of time, that fast, I know he is God. Only by the work of the Spirit. If you're here this morning and Christ is calling your name. I don't care if we all tackled you and said don't go. You, you'd, you'd climb to the top of the heap. This concept of I'm embarrassed of Jesus thing, then you haven't heard the call of God because you don't care if you didn't have a streak of clothes on, you would run to Jesus. Amen. You don't care what Billy or whoever, you, you don't care what anybody thinks about. Why? Because God is calling your name and he's not talking to anybody else, he's talking to you. And when God speaks to you, you listen. God is speaking to you that way this morning. Do not miss this time. God is patient. He calls again. He calls again. He calls again. Will there ever be a time when God says, no more? I don't know. If God's calling your name this morning, please respond to Jesus. This is why we're offering a time at the end of our services for you to go in there and pray with some of our spiritual leaders. You don't have to. Absolutely not. But there's an opportunity to. We know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and who are called effectually according to his purpose. Is that you this morning? If it is as I pray, we can all stand. There'll be people in there to pray with you. Something broke my heart about two weeks ago. It's not uncommon. 
because of the day and age we live in. I heard through the riffle raffle that there was someone complaining that we were offering a time of prayer at the end of service. They said, we don't do this at Cowboy Church. And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. If it ever becomes a black mark to give somebody the opportunity to respond to the effectual call of Jesus Christ, and we say because X, Y, and Z church doesn't do it, we don't do it, you are a true, ignorant individual. Do you hear what I'm saying? This isn't about cowboy church, biker church, skater church, First Baptist, Methodist assembly. It's not about any of that. This is about you and Jesus Christ. That's all this is about. You hear what I'm saying? And what we're going to do is we're going to stand. And I'm praying for you this morning. If there's anyone here that you've heard the effectual call of God upon your life today, I pray today that you will surrender to God and that you will run to Jesus and he will change your life and you will know what it means to be secure in Christ. You will be a different person. He will change you, give you new life and give you the Holy Spirit's power to live beyond the type of life you've ever dreamed. Why? Because he is God. This is his plan of salvation. And if you've heard his name today, I'm asking you with everything that I have within me to go to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you this morning. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you at one point in time in my life, God, you extended an effectual call to me. It was one I could not resist. I could fight against it. I could pull back on it. But Lord, everything within me just pushed me and propelled me to you, God. I, it, was, it was irresistible, God. Lord, you do that in people's lives every day because the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And Lord, your Holy Spirit is still saving lives. If there's anybody here listening by radio today that's watching this morning, that's here in this place today, that they've heard the effectual call of God today, Lord, I pray that they will just surrender their life to you. They will repent of their sin in their old life, understanding that that life leads to death, and they know that. But, oh God, out of a great love for us, who is rich in mercy, God, you sent your son and he gave his life and he paid for all of our sin, past, present, future. It's all covered by his blood and by faith in Jesus. And right now I believe in Jesus because, Lord, you've given me the desire to believe and the, and the understanding and the, and the ability to believe in you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for that faith to believe, to turn from my old life. And to run to you, Christ, in a brand new life, in a new way of living, in living by the power of the Holy Spirit, a whole new person. The old is gone, the new has come. God, thank you, Lord, for that. And there's some here today, I believe, that are doing that even now as I pray. Lord, you are, you are bringing them into the family, God. Thank you, Lord, for this gospel. Thank you for your love. Thank you for every person that's here this morning, God. Thank you for your love for them. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, for this salvation, Lord, we did nothing to get. And Lord, we will not do anything to lose, God, because you are working it out in my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this promise, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. amen.